Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors, a strategic communications company. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week is Tiffany Robinson. Tiffany is the managing partner of Aslan Holdings, plus founder, CEO, and principal broker of SVN Second Story, a real estate management company. In addition, Tiffany is the chair of the Hamilton County School Board. Tiffany's plan was to work for a big-time ad agency on the West Coast, but life got in the way. Tiffany, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we talk about your life experiences and how your time at Lamppost Group prepared you for SVN Second Story, let me ask, what's in your morning cup? Ooh, my morning cup has Illy coffee. Are you familiar with the Illy brand? No. It's out of Europe. Um, you can normally get it in bigger markets like New York, Tampa. I have to order it on Amazon. So one time on a work trip, I was in New York and I saw an Illy cafe and I was like, oh, that's a cute logo. Went in and had the best coffee of my life. And then, of course, like later when I traveled to Europe for vacation, my husband could only get that brand there. And then like ever since I've been hooked. So no doubt it is an expensive cup of coffee yeah. and no one in my house is allowed to touch this except me. <laughs> um, so I have a cup of Illy coffee with some heavy whipping cream because mm. I'm also on a keto diet. <laughs> so it was a loaded question. Illy, I'm not familiar with Illy. How do you spell that? I-L-L-Y. Okay. See, I became familiar with Costa coffee Ooh. in Europe Yes, because that was a brand in Europe. Yeah. And so now you'll see... In my office and other places, Costa Coffee. But luckily, it tastes good. Luckily thank for God, you. it tastes good. Now, I am a decaf guy. I used to be a caffeinated guy, but I can't do that. I would imagine with all you have going on, you probably rely on a little bit of caffeine. Just one cup, because if I drink more than that, I mean, I'm like bouncing off the walls. So I just am like naturally born with a lot of energy and just like go, go, go. Well, I think um, what we're getting ready to discuss will illustrate that. You got to Chattanooga via Plant City, Florida. Talk about that a little. Yeah, strawberry capital of the world. So I grew up in Plant City, Florida, which is like a submarket of Tampa. And Plant City now, in days of like such massive growth in Florida, it's really become its own like kind of major little hub. But uh, I grew up there with my mom and my younger siblings. I had a brother and a sister, so I'm the oldest of three. Was just always like a really active kid. Had lots of sports, lots of what was involvement your sport? in school. Well. I know you're not going to say it's a sport, but I was a dancer growing up. I was a competitive, competitive dancer. See, I think so too, but I get told all the time, like, that's not really a sport. Uh, Yeah. Go out and do it then. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Pretty sure I can still outdance you. So, um, but yeah, I was a competitive dancer growing up and got really involved in school theater in Mm -hmm. high school and then made my way this way via Lee University on a theater scholarship. Okay. So you went to Lee because of a theater scholarship. I mean, truly because of a theater scholarship. And I had a boyfriend that was going there too. So it just kind of worked out. And that relationship only lasted about a month after we got to Lee. So. <laughs> well, as, as the father of two daughters, I understand how that works. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I definitely was eager to leave home base, get out of Florida, just really like explore the world by the time I was graduating high school and um, had been given this just really great opportunity 
to come to beautiful Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Literally packed up my little tiny four-door car with all of my stuff and just drove straight to Tennessee. I didn't even come visit the campus. So you had no familiarity with this part of the country? No family? Haven't nope. been here vacationing? Well, I remember when I was eight years old, we took a road trip from Florida to Wisconsin to visit mm-hmm. some family, and we did stop at Rock City. Now you're official. Now You've I'm official. <laughs> I've been to Rock City multiple times now, yes, so... So you get to Lee, and what was your goal at that point in terms of a career? Were you wanting to get into the theater? Yeah, so I actually have two degrees. I have a degree in communication, and I also have a theater degree as well. But you know what? I kind of knew from the beginning, hey, I'm going to do this whole theater thing for fun and because they're paying me to go to school. Mm -hmm. And I was brought on to a traveling theater team at Lee. And so during the summers, I would actually travel and do shows throughout the country. And that was a really amazing experience. Because I hadn't really been exposed to like traveling a lot as a child. Um, I grew up in a single parent household and, you know, just traveling wasn't a thing. And so I got to really explore so much of the country, but I knew that was not going to be my path career wise, but I loved marketing and advertising and was very, very set on, you know, I'm going to own my own ad agency one day. I'm going to work for some of the biggest brands. Um, And so really at Lee, like my big emphasis on the career side was advertising. Now, let me go back to a question for you. You said you toured with a theater group with Lee. I didn't realize they had that. What kind of shows were you doing? Yeah, I mean, it was like small skits. It was more like an improv group. Mm -hmm. So I'm really not sure if they still have that group. I mean, I graduated from Lee in 2007. What was the name of the group? Um, It was called Kingdom Players. Okay. So it was like Second City and the folks who feed yeah, into Saturday Night so. Live coming in and doing Yeah, I don't think we thing. were that funny, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, just such a just a unique experience to to have at that age and to be so exposed in ways that you don't expect to be exposed in college, you know. So you're in college, communications major, you're doing the theater as almost more for yourself than anything else. Totally. And you've got in your mind that you're going to add a, own a big ad agency mm-hmm. and go down that path. A hundred percent. So what happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I did go down that path, um, not owning my own ad agency, obviously. But whenever I got out of school, um, the recession was starting to hit, the Great Recession. So I, I remember that. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, you do. Yes, I did. Uh, so I graduated in spring of 2007. I remember thinking, like even a year later, Man, all my friends that chose to drag their feet in school and not graduate on time, they didn't graduate until 2008. And like that was really hard on them. So when I graduated in 2007, I do believe that like jobs are starting to dry up, especially in the marketing and advertising world. But I got a job of Life Care Centers of America in Cleveland, Mm -hmm. even though I was trying so hard to get out of here. I mean, I wanted to go to the West Coast badly, but I mean, just opportunities were not really there. What was your attraction to the West Coast? Just the fact that you didn't travel much as a kid and that kind of had an allure of... Well, you know what? It's kind of funny you ask that. As a kid, I really believe that my, like, where I was really supposed to live was California. I have no idea why, but in my mind as a child, I was just like, I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm supposed (laughs) to be in California. So I just had this dream my whole life of like living in California. It's kind of funny because now my work has taken me to the West Coast so much. And I'm like, I think I'm exactly where I was supposed to be, right? So I just had this dream of getting out there, working for bigger brands. Definitely the opportunity in the marketing and advertising world still to this day doesn't really exist here as it does on the West Coast or New York. But that's just what I was fixated on. And so anyways, after a few months of searching for a job, which felt like an eternity, I got a job at Life Care Centers of America in Cleveland as a copywriter in their advertising department. And that was like 
the biggest deal in the world to me. I thought I had made it. Yeah. So I went into copywriting and did that for about a year. I also learned a lot of media buying and I really liked media buying. And so I think I was at Life Care a little over a year. And then from there, made my way to my next role, which was working for a small auto company here called Kinsmith Auto Parts. I think it's been bought ever since. They work directly with like Ford and Chevrolet. And so I came in as like their one person marketing department and was doing events and traveling to like Detroit, talking with, you know, the AC Delco folks. So like doing trade shows for them? Doing trade shows and putting on trade shows because we would do our own little trade shows here and learning how to, you know, do the advertising side on the business to business side. I mean, it was just a totally different world. Yeah. And like auto parts are not really like a good fit for my personality, but you know, I really learned how to work with a sales team. That was a really good experience because that very much translates into what I do now and got a little bored with it. But actually what had happened, I, I did not have any plans of leaving that job necessarily. So I think I was only there for about a year or two, which I think whenever you're younger, you got to like try different oh, things. Yeah. But but I'd also become really interested in experiential marketing. And I don't know if you guys know what that is, but- Well, familiarize all of us with that. Yeah. And I, I still am a big fan of experiential marketing and just really on the real estate development side have really like played into that too with like our Tamara building brand. But experiential marketing is where like you take a brand- and you create an experience around the brand. So it's typically at like live events, you know? So if you think about maybe you've ever been to a music festival and like Pepsi has a tent set up and you can come in and have the Pepsi experience. So like mm-hmm. you're trying Pepsi and you're playing some interactive games and they're, I don't know, giving you um, head massages or whatever it is that they want to like correlate into their brand. But it basically is like this more interactive experience. And I really loved events and I loved marketing and I loved like the combination of the two. Well, Ironically, a friend of mine, I'd become really involved in YPAC here in Chattanooga, which Young mm-hmm. Professional Association of Chattanooga. And a friend sent me this job posting. There was this company out of Memphis opening up a Chattanooga office and they specialize in experiential marketing. Was that Leo? Yes, it was Leo Events. And at the time it was called Quiddity Entertainment, which nobody can say that word or remember that word. But um, yeah, it's now Leo Events, which is one of the largest event companies in the world based here in Chattanooga, which most people don't even know about. But they were looking for an associate producer. So I applied and I got the job and then I quickly got thrown into the world of live events. And I did that for two years, almost three years. I knew a little bit about Leo because my oldest daughter was a public relations major at Tennessee. She now works in Austin in PR, but she also did some summer work for Leo here in Chattanooga. That's great. Yeah. So that job taught me everything I needed to know about how to make things happen not only because like you're actually executing live events for hundreds of thousands of people. And it's like, no matter what the gate to the festival has to open at 2 PM and that's it. It's go time. Can you give an example of a specific event and just kind of walk us through what your responsibilities would be? Oh yeah. I mean, it changed so much over the years and in that business, the better you are and like the faster that you dive in, the quicker you move up in that world, you know, like in a matter of just a couple of years, you can move from being like kind of low rung associate producer to being a producer of a show. So, you know, my responsibilities in year one was actually managing all the vendors. So all the food vendors, all the retail vendors. And if you can manage vendors, you can probably do anything in this world. But then by the time that I had left Leo, I was working as a producer and I was working on shows like the Walmart shareholders conference. So, I mean, Walmart puts on very intensive shareholder meetings. You start at 3 a.m., like as a staff member, you start at 3 a.m. and you're probably not going home to your hotel room until 1130, 12 o'clock. It's a pretty intense event. Very intense. But, you know, Mariah Carey's performing, you know, Mary J. Blige. The host is someone like SNL celebrities, you know, just a variety of people. And it's just a really amazing experience. 
you've got to come off flawlessly too. That's exactly right. I mean, like if Walmart's your client, there's really no messing up. You can mess up once with Walmart (laughs) and then you're done. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, um, we were working on South by Southwest in Austin, Austin City Limits, big, big shows like that and coordinating like the various aspects of it. And what's your takeaway from that that's helped you today? You know, I'm, I'm really not shy about saying like Kent Underwood, who's the principal of Leo. I mean, I got to be his second employee. I got to work directly under him and with him and learn so much from him. I mean, we were, I mean, in an entrepreneurial like setting like that, I mean, if you are employee number two, you are seeing and absorbing everything that the founder and the CEO I mean, because the founder and CEO is probably doing like low level work as well as high level work. Right. So you're seeing the whole gamut. So I've definitely got a really good appreciation of what does it take to really build a company and how hard is it, especially during a recession? This was like Mm -hmm. 2009 to 2011 that I was there. Right. So there was so much happening in the event world of like understanding, like, is there even going to be an event industry after this whole thing's over? So really understanding how to ride the wave, understanding everything from QuickBooks to like how to woo a client that's going to pay you a million dollars. I mean, it's, you know, it was just a whole gamut. Yeah. Being right there with the founder and experiencing all those things, did that spark your entrepreneurial flame or did you already have it? I guess I already had it because I wanted to start my own ad agency, but I think I never really classified it as entrepreneurship. I think that during that recession, entrepreneurship became really popular. Whereas it feels like before that, like whenever I was in college, no one would have ever encouraged me to start my own company because like, absolutely not. You should just go get a corporate job, you know? So definitely that job was a major influence, but I'd say the other influence was my husband. You know, my husband is an entrepreneur as well. And really, you know, he dropped out of nursing school to start a catering company. I mean, who does that? That's a big risk. (laughs) It's a massive risk, especially whenever you kind of hung your hat on, like, I thought we were getting married and I thought we're going to have like a happily (laughs) ever after, you know, story. And it's just going to be so easy. But, you know, Mike is courageous and the true, true entrepreneur. And he started his first company at 22 and then dovetail that company into multiple restaurants. And then now is the founder and owner of Proof Incubator on MLK and, you know, works with food and beverage companies all over the country. So I think that, you know, it's a combination of like being caught up in the mix with him, right? I wouldn't even say I had the entrepreneurial bug from him because I was more probably resistant to it, but then like watching people like Kent and then really like my next phase was that River City company and seeing the impact that entrepreneurship can have on economic development and just how it can really help a city grow, I think spun me into entrepreneurial mode. Yeah. And Chattanooga is a great example of that. So at at what point did you and I'm not going to say give up on your West Coast dream, but say, you know what, I'm pretty good doing what I'm doing okay, here. Okay, good question. I think that my time of Leo really helped solidify, like, you know what, Chattanooga is a pretty great place to be. Mm-hmm. So I think that just the amount of travel that I had and, I, you know, what had happened with that job is I was being sent off every other week to another coast, right? I mean, I was all over the country and it was exhausting and I was newly married and I was becoming so involved in YPAC and just really finding my place here in Chattanooga. And it felt like I was living two lives and I don't have to have the hustle and bustle of this massive place where I'm kind of just a number. Yeah. Much better lifestyle in it. And cheaper for sure. (laughs) At least it has been. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I think I probably started to sever that dream right around then and was like pretty content with that. Where'd you go after Leo? Was that River City? Yep. So Kim White recruited me and, you know, Kim White's been a mentor of mine too. And truly look up to Kim and consider her like a second mother. A great um, mentor to have. Great mentor to have. Lucky. So lucky. And, uh, you know, I was just becoming so engaged and like, okay, Chattanooga is really special. Kim had a big need for like someone who understood how to create events downtown and really market downtown. And so I came on board 
as I think her initially like director of events and that became like director of marketing. And how long were you there? I think I was there for two years. Two yeah. years? Yep. And then made my way to Lampost Group. And how did that come about? Because, you know, Lampost Group is to the point of being legendary in Chattanooga. I know, I know. And now I've been in the Lampost Group family for yeah. a decade. Um, which is wild. Yeah, because you were going years, two years. <laughs> well, and I think in your 20s, you do that. Well, you have to. Yeah, I think in your 30s, you've got to really say, this is it. You know, mm-hmm. maybe not it forever, but like you got to decide to become a master at something. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, you need to like be strategic on the opportunities at hand, right? And for me, it wasn't always about the highest paying job. You know, when I came out of school, I was making what I was making, which is looking back, I don't know how I lived, but I made a jump with a higher paying job, but then I actually took a pay cut whenever I went to Leo because I wanted the opportunity so badly. I think that's a really important point because we do get so caught up in advancing means not only a better title, but it means more money. But advancing may be taking a step or two back yeah. so you can learn something different. Yeah. And that's what I, in my heart of hearts, felt like I needed. And luckily it's all worked out. I can yeah. absolutely pay my bills. So <laughs> <laughs> so how I got engaged with Lamppost Group. So during my time at River City, I think that like the entrepreneurial side of me was still very much like on fire. And the work I was doing at River City was very satisfying. Um, but in my like free time, which I'd just become a new mom too. You had free time? I did. I had so much time in the world. See, that's also another thing too, for anyone that's younger listening to this, you don't know how much free time you have until you have children (laughs) because you could have actually solved all the world's problems before you had children and then boom, it goes away. So I had my son shortly after I started at River City Company But what had like really been aching inside of me was seeing all this entrepreneurial activity, being engaged with it, but really seeing so few women be engaged in that entrepreneurial activity. And so Shelly Prevost, who at the time was at Lamppost Group, and she's a very, very good friend of mine. We had lunch one day and we were actually just getting to know each other. And I said, you know, my dream is maybe like in my 40s. So I'm like 26, 27 at this time. I'm like, in my 40s, I want to start an angel fund that does nothing but invest in female entrepreneurs. And it's made up of female investors. Like, how cool would that be? And Shelly was like, well, why would you wait till your 40s? And I was like, I don't know. Why would I wait till my 40s? And so Shelly and I team up and we started finding other like-minded women to come around this idea of starting an investment fund focused on female entrepreneurs. And so we pulled Christina Montague in, Stephanie Crow, Betsy Brown. And um, at the time we had another partner and we started the first female-led angel fund in Chattanooga. But actually it turned out really, we were like one of the very first in the country. Forbes magazine like featured us. And, and that, so, that was the jump fund? That is the jump fund and it's still alive and we're on our second fund right now. And so, you know, over the last 10 years, we've deployed about $15 million wow. into female-led companies throughout the Southeast. So yeah, so at River City Company, I started becoming not just focused on like, my work was around economic development, right? Well, in order for economic development to really thrive here in Chattanooga, you got to have more capital. There's still a lot of work that can be done on the investment side of things when it comes to like venture capital and angel funds. So we started, we started the jump fund. And so I think, you know, just getting to know Shelly and then, you know, by proxy got to know her partners at Lamppost Group, who then eventually became my partners. You know, I just got a kind of gravitational pull and... Along the way, too, in my time at River City, I also started recognizing the importance for talent and like why our community really needs to be heavily focused on talent recruitment. And so Lamp Post Group was just such a like, 
experimental ground for, mm-hmm. hey, well, what is your idea? And let's give it a shot. And so... We'll talk about that culture yeah. a little bit. Yeah. There because and as an outside observer, I was familiar with the Lamppost Group, but it seems like it was almost like a Petri dish. And each day yeah, people would bring, sure. bring in ideas that either grew or didn't. And if they didn't grow, that's okay. You had an idea. Yeah, absolutely. So my thought at this time and my idea at the time was around talent recruitment and how do we do a better job as a community? And so you know, the partners at Land Post Group said, hey, we we want to fund that initiative. So if you'll leave River City Company and come be with us full time, we will fully fund this initiative. So when I made the way from River City Company over to Land Post Group, I actually started an initiative called Waypaver. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you remember hearing remember, about that, yeah. but, you know, we were very heavily focused on recruiting tech talent. And so I didn't know anything about recruiting talent, but I just formed a team of individuals that were really smart. And I said, let's just go figure this out. Let me back up a little bit. Was that an idea you had or an experience that from somewhere in your past that you said, you know, there's a niche here for finding tech talent? Yeah, actually the initiative really spurred out of my time so heavily engaged with YPAC. And I would watch these people, these younger people who were my age as well, like, you know, they were in their 20s or early 30s, moved to Chattanooga for a job, and then they would have a really hard time getting connected in to the community. And then problem number two was really the fact that companies were having such a hard time with filling their positions with good talent. And then whenever they would find that good talent, could the talent stomach staying here? Because it wasn't the West Coast, right? Mm -hmm. We weren't in a San Francisco where there was such high density. So for two years, I mean, I led the Waypaver Initiative at Lamp Post Group, and it was a privately funded initiative. I mean, we poured millions of dollars into talent recruitment, and we were making major headway. I mean, I think in our first year, we recruited 25 people to come and live in Chattanooga and work at the companies that we paired them with. So explain a little bit how that works. You recruited 25 people to work at, let's say, 25 different companies. Yep. So were you acting as a recruiter for these companies or more for these individuals and taking them to these companies? It's a good question. I mean, so part of the problem (laughs) was that we were really working as a recruiter, but we weren't getting paid by anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, Lamp Post Group was just privately funding it. And I think that that just wasn't sustainable. Like we had to kind of decide, do we want to become like a privately standing recruitment company? And like, that's just not what I wanted to do, you know? So at this point in time, we had built a team and that recruitment team kind of carried on and they had asked me, hey, would you be interested in being the COO of Lamp Post Group? I was kind of at a place where I was like, yeah, I think I'm a little bored with what we're doing because I don't want to spin this out into a private recruitment company. And so when I moved on to being the COO, you know, just the focus was just day-to-day operations, portfolio management. And that was good insight for me. And explain just a little bit for folks who may not be familiar with how Lamp Post Group works. When you say portfolio of companies, what was the purpose of the Lamp Post Group? Yeah, Lamp Post Group was a venture capital group but they wanted to see these companies that they invested in move to Chattanooga and that way start really improving like just the landscape of Chattanooga in multiple ways, economic development, just bringing more people in that have big ideas. And I think it worked in a lot of ways, oh, I do you too. know, but it was all privately funded. And I think not that something can't be privately funded and work, obviously, but there was no like revenue capturing. It takes a long time to see a portfolio of companies exit and like have returns. And so Barry, Allen, and Ted, who were the founders of Lamp Post Group, were really playing for the long game. And they still are. I mean, you know, the portfolio that they invested in, the majority of those companies still exist. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have made massive impact on this community. You know, just the loudness of Lamp Post Group just doesn't quite exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So my year as COO then led me to realize we should actually really heavily think about investing in real estate. 
because there's a pretty big need for real estate, specifically in like the downtown area of Chattanooga. So that's how I ended up in real estate is really through my time as COO and just recognizing a need. I knew nothing about real estate development, but thought to myself, well, gosh, how hard could it be? <laughs> and then got a wake up call that it's incredibly difficult and it's a very hard industry. It's funny that you say that. So a lot of entrepreneurs go into something thinking, how hard could it be? 100%. And you get in the middle of it, you realize it's very hard and, very hard. and you learn to adapt and you fight and you, you get better. Yeah. And I'd say like at this point, you know, I'm in my early 30s and I'm like, well, if we're going to do real estate. This is what I'm going to be doing for my 30s, right? Because I'm going all in, yeah. you know, I want to learn this. I want to become an expert at it. And um, would have never imagined like the ride that it's been and the gift that it's been for sure. Like I remember going home and saying, by this point, my husband sold his restaurants and he's now actually the COO at Chattanooga Whiskey. So, you know, my husband's, you know, very much in that startup world as well. He was getting ready to start building the distillery that they have on Riverfront Drive. And I said, hey, so like me and like the other partners, we're talking about maybe starting this real estate fund. And I'm thinking about leading it. And he was like, you're going to go into real estate? <laughs> and I was like, I guess I am. Like, I mean, I don't know. Is this where I've been led? But I mean, I really felt in my heart of hearts, it was where I was supposed to be. And, you know, I think that even as foreign as it was, especially for the first few years, I mean, I remember crying a lot the first few years at home just because I was like, this is really hard. You know, it's just been a pretty amazing ride. Well, and that's another thing a lot of people don't see from successful entrepreneurs is that it is a struggle. And there are days you you look at yourself and you go, what in the world did yeah. I decide to do? A hundred percent. Because again, the generational difference, my generation was go get your good corporate job and work that career and, and you do this and you don't take that. It was minimize risk. Yeah. And the younger generations, your generation and others is why not? I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've taken a lot of risk over the years and continue to take a lot of risk, especially with everything that we have our fingers in right now on the real estate side. Um, so we started lamppost properties, right? They're so creative with names. <laughs> and really lamppost properties is a development shop and a holdings organization. So I was tasked with like, hey, you're the CEO of this, like go deploy this funding, right? And so had no one on my team. It was kind of like just me and just like the guys, but they weren't in the day-to-day -day with me. So they kind of said, here you go. Yeah, yeah. Have at it. Yeah. We basically said like, let's form a partnership. We'll be your funding body. And Tiffany, we believe in you go do this. And I'm really lucky that I have people that have said along the way, like, we really believe in you, even though between the five of us, none of us know anything about real estate. And I think that from the outside world, looking in the other folks in the real estate world in Chattanooga, they had to have been scratching their heads. Like, mm -hmm. What? You know, and I, I get it now. I really do. But man, it was hard. It was hard to like be in those rooms trying to like be at the table and, you know, luckily had people that knew a lot more than me. I was just trying to absorb, but then I'm also trying to make decisions too. And that is entrepreneurship. Did you have anyone, uh, particularly from the real estate world, kind of whether said it to you, looked at you, treated you? You haven't paid your dues in this 100%. world. 100%. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I am a big believer in we all have skills and assets to bring to the table and we all have unique ways of thinking and diverse teams are my most favorite teams. But truthfully, it was a lot of men that treated me that way. That's not meant to be disparaging in any way, but the real estate world is heavily male dominant and continues to be male dominant. You know, I do a lot of speaking and a lot of appearances as a female leader in real estate now and you know, it just kind of is surprising me that commercial real estate continues to be so heavily male dominant. When I moved here and I moved here 23 years ago, I was in rooms that I didn't think I should be in. So 
Talk a little bit about to future entrepreneurs when they're in that situation, how they should act. Should you be quiet and Absolutely. listening? I do think that. So I can look back and like notice ways that I was inappropriate. Like, you know, maybe sometimes I was a little too snippy, but I would like to think that actually for the most part, I stayed quiet and listened but stuck up for myself whenever I needed to. Um, and you have to do that to be respected. You do. But I think that whenever you're starting out, you know, you're going to look back and you're going to say, oh, now I see like where I shouldn't have acted that way. The more humble you can be, the better. The more questions you can ask, the better. Definitely go find a mentor or an advisor. I did not have someone to go to. And I think that that made the journey of learning harder for me. And I wish that I had recognized in myself, like, you need to go find someone, even if it's really, really hard to go find this person, just go find them. It felt easier to me to just muddle through it and just like dig your way through it. Whereas like now looking back, I'm like, I probably could have made this a little easier on myself. Has that always been your nature though, as a kid growing up? Almost that bullheaded determination of... I guess so. I mean, or like my path is the only way, you know? And um, so I would acknowledge that I've got some short-sightedness in that regard. I think now where I am today in my business, which is I have 50 employees now. You know, I have a phenomenal COO who really helps me see the other side of the coin. And before having her, it was a lot of like just one way thinking, but somehow convinced people to follow and be on the Mm -hmm. team. But now, like, we're just so much more well rounded because of that. Have a great leader in our brokerage side. And then also, you know, we merged Lamppost Properties with Magali Holdings. And so we now have Aslan Holdings. We're the largest property owner in downtown Chattanooga. So now I have an operating partner, Matt Magali, and he and I are like night and day. We're very different people, but gosh, we get along great and we think really well together because we're kind of yin and yang. But then in so many ways, very much the same, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. have the same like vision and desires, but like can think very differently about a problem. And we're both collaborators. And so we're able to say, hey, I don't agree with you on that, but I like the way you're thinking. Or like, hey, I'm not fully sold on that yet, but let's keep working through that. So what I've learned is that the more I surround myself with people who really challenge me in how I think, the better I am as a professional. So was the Tomorrow Building the first commercial real estate yes. venture of Lamppost yes. Properties? Yep, it sure was. And, you know, when I mentioned earlier, I feel like my experiential marketing days are still like in play. It's really through that brand. So the Tomorrow Building was this solution that we had to some of the talent problem. It's a fully furnished, flexible lease, all-inclusive place for you to live. And the whole idea is that you get connected to your neighbors. So we're trying to solve all these problems, right? Like make it easy for you to find somewhere to live, make it easy for you to not have to bring any furniture. And then also we're going to hopefully introduce you to some people that will make you want to stay in our community. Cause people on the talent side, we were seeing people leave that just said, I'm going to move to Atlanta. It just feels bigger and I can meet more people. Well, for longtime Chattanoogans, the tomorrow building also used to host yesterday's, yesterday's. bar. Well, that's pretty cool. You go from yesterday to tomorrow. It's a good way to do that. At what point did you break away from Lamppost and go SVN? Well, actually, SVN's always been a part of Lamppost. It's really just that SVN became the more forward-facing brand. And so most people just think of me as CEO of SVN Second Story. But really, my day-to-day for the last seven or eight years has been managing Lamppost properties as a development and holding company, and then also SVN Second Story and growing it. And SVN Second Story has just taken off. It was never intended for it to. We thought it would just be this like kind of in-house property management and brokerage shop that would just focus on our development projects. But I figured out really quickly, as any entrepreneur does, especially if they're wanting to make money, that there is a market for your product. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now SVN Second Story has close to 50 employees. 
the lamppost properties now Aslan side has, you know, about another 10 employees and growing, especially our development arm is heavily growing. And so it's just taken off like lightning and we're just in awe of what I've witnessed and experienced, especially living through COVID and being an entrepreneur in COVID and just really having to keep everything afloat. Talk about COVID a little, how you guys got through that. I remember the day that everything shut down. And I remember very shortly after, within like a week, the headline started saying commercial real estate will never exist again, which I have to tell you, I rolled my eyes at that. Like, give me a break. (laughs) You can't not have commercial real estate, but definitely questioning, oh my goodness, like what does this mean for my business? The good news is that our property management side never could, I say this is good news. We were always with a purpose because every owner that we worked for, all of our clients needed to know that their assets were going to be managed and well-maintained. So our property management staff really worked around the clock during COVID, which is also difficult to manage the mental aspect of COVID and the labor side. I mean, it was a very difficult time. The brokerage side took a big hit, but then, you know, by the time 2020 ended, we had actually seen quite a bit of revenue pick back up. But then truthfully, we went straight into two of the busiest and most profitable years commercial real estate has ever seen. On the brokerage side, I mean, we had people making a million dollars for the last two years. I mean, they were making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And then now you've got people that are, you know, they're not making that. They're still making great money. I mean, we've just really heavily focused on what do you need if you're walking into war? Like I think about it as, okay, if I were walking into war today, what is the team that I would want walking inside that war with me? Mm -hmm. And so what I've done for the last three years is heavily focus on people, training, And just really focused on culture, because at the end of the day, no matter what the economy does, if you have great people on your team, your business is going to thrive. And if you really just look at everything when it comes to your business with short sightedness of like, well, it's just about the dollar today. I can replace those people tomorrow. I can promise you that you're not going to survive as an entrepreneur and your business is not going to survive. and It's not going to have value. And so, you know, it's really exciting that like even in such a just a weird economy that we're in right now, SV and Second Story is thriving. Our development arm is thriving. You know, we raised a fund last year. We raised $23 million and we're deploying that capital into all new development projects in Chattanooga, but also throughout the Southeast. And we're looking for, you know, new markets to be active and to go establish business in. So I'd say, how did I manage through COVID? I mean, just one day at a time, but also really like making sure that what was obvious is that the people were the most important thing through it all. And I think that it's paid off. One of the things in talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, that's a common thread is I didn't plan this career, but I took this job, did the best I could, worked the hardest I could, and then the next opportunity came my way. Yeah. Is that true? I totally believe in that. I've never applied for a job. I guess I applied for my first job, but then after that, it was just all about who I knew and then following like, hey, I'm really interested in this. Could this be something that leads to the next step? Um I would say that for me, though, at this point, I mean, yeah, I'm not leaving this industry anytime soon. You know, I feel like I'm just getting going. Like, I feel like the last seven years, I've figured it out, yeah. you know, and then over the last two years, even in the depths of COVID and the world changing and the economy changing, it's more like a motivator for me to go launch new ventures within the real estate side. And so, you know, we're expanding the Tomorrow Building brand, you know, we're growing SVN Second Story to new markets. You know, we've started this fund and even though it's like, wow, I'm busier than ever, I'm using everything I've learned to go find new paths of revenue and go find new paths of what I think is innovation in real estate. Mm -hmm. A couple more questions for you. 
What is the significance of SVN, Second Story, as a name? Okay, so we were Second Story Real Estate Management up until early last year. SVN is a large commercial real estate brand. They approached us and said, hey, we have an interest in acquiring your office and being in the Chattanooga market. Would you have an interest in partnering with us? And so now we're part of a national brand. I mean, we are doing more deals, not only in Chattanooga, but we are doing deals all throughout the country. So becoming a part of the SVN brand was an opportunity to go expand and really scale the company. And I think like right now I'm in a period of scaling. Yeah. Like I figured out a lot of like what it takes to operate a real estate company. And then now I'm like, okay, now how do I go scale it outside of Chattanooga? Yeah. All right. Last question for you. What would you tell your 25 year old self? It's very important for a happy life. I would tell myself to get out of my own head and just say or do whatever it is that your gut or your mind is telling you to do. Like, don't leave the conversation unsaid or undiscussed. Don't leave meeting the person or reaching out to that person undone. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Don't care too much about what those people think. Well, that's great advice. Um, You've had, up to this point, an extremely interesting career, and I think Chattanooga's lucky to have you. I appreciate that very much. And thanks for coming in and talking to us. It was really fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.